Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. So for those of you who brought your personal sword with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 19. So again, my name is Jeff Wingfield, one of the elders here, and great to have this, uh, so grateful to have this opportunity to speak for you this morning. Now, today is our vocational preacher's birthday, Jason Bogardus. And he's not here this morning, so I can say whatever I want to about him. For those people online, Jason may be watching online, so I, I guess I better I guess I better be careful. Um, but anyway, so we want to wish Jason a happy birthday. And, and again, I'm grateful to have this opportunity uh, to speak to you this morning. So, guys, husbands, husbands, look at me. I'm about to tell a little story. You don't flinch. Don't flinch, don't turn your head, don't look at your wife, don't make any eye contact for the next few minutes. I had an anniversary that snuck up on me. Guys, right here. Now, it was a, it, 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 not that the anniversary itself snuck up on me, but it was my 10th anniversary. Guys, right here. Don't flinch, don't, don't even cut an eye. So it didn't dawn on me in time because on a 10th anniversary, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go big, right? You're supposed to go big. Well, I, I, my wife's here, so I have to be careful too. Um, I called Mitch Jensen. Uh, his folks usually sit right over here. I don't see him this morning, but Mitch used to be a member here, Mitchell Jensen, and I, he's a vice president of a travel company, and they do, they specialize in um, holy land kind of tours and missionary journeys of Paul and all those kind of things. So they go to Greece and Rome and, and Israel and Jerusalem, but they have a very religious kind of focus. And I thought, well, we, this is killing two birds with one stone. Let's do a great, huge, big trip, and let's do one of these bucket list kind of trips that we've always wanted to do, right? So I thought, this is awesome. This will show I'm, I'm on it. So I called Mitchell in October of 2019. My 10th anniversary is in November of 2019. You flinched, Bill. I saw you. I, I thought, well, this will be great. I said, Mitchell, here's what I'm planning. I want to do something big. This is our 10th anniversary, and, and I want to do something big. And he, so he gets excited. He goes, oh, man, we've got these great trips, and we can go, and, and we'll, we'll put this package together for you guys. And in, in late 2021, you guys will have the best trip that you guys will ever have. After a very long, silent pause. He says, well, what were you thinking about? And I said, next month. He said, well, these kind of trips, you, you, you can't really do it like that. I got a call back the next day. He said, I got a group out of California going to the Holy Lands for, I forget what it was, nine days. And they had a couple drop out yesterday if you call, we'll call the, the guy leading the tour, and if you guys want to do it, I need a decision in a couple of days, and you can be on it. Judy and I talked for about six seconds and said, we're in. So we went. 
and it was a wonderful trip. And I've mentioned it here a couple of times. So I got a couple of pictures to show you at the very beginning because it plays right into what we're talking about in John chapter 19. So the first picture, my dad has been to the to Holy Land several times. My brother has been to the Holy Land several times. And I always heard about swimming in the Dead Sea, about how incredible it was, you know? And, and I thought, okay, I know it's saltier and all this kind of, it's, it's, it's really cool. So I was floating here, I think that's Judy's foot, but I'm floating here, and as we got closer to the, the shore over there, literally floating in this much water. It's really, really cool. You, you can't, it's like you can't go under. Really, really interesting. Next picture. These are just some things, the Holy Lands. You read about some of these things in the Bible. These are, now, we're not that vain, but we said we can take we can get pictures better than we could ever take off the Internet. So we decided to take pictures of ourselves at these, you know, famous sites. So these are the hills of En Gedi, and the, you see some caves up there. This is where uh, David and Saul were kind of at each other's throats. And David was hiding in this cave in the hills of En Gedi. And Saul comes in to take a rest and goes to sleep. And David cuts off the hem of his royal robe right in this area. And that's really, really cool to kind of be right there. Let's see what the next one is. I've kind of forgotten the order here. Oh, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, they, the, the, the tour guides will tell you some of these trees date back to the time of Christ. No one really knows. But it was neat to be right there. And where we've been studying in John chapter 19 and all of these events in John and leading up to the death of Jesus. And, and he was somewhere near this area where we were. Very, very close, which is kind of cool. People have asked me, did it change your life? No. Do you want to go back? No. But I'm really, really glad we did. It, did it make you a deeper Christian? No. But there are people that we've talked to that have actually been multiple, multiple times, and they make yearly or every other year uh, kind of trips back to the Holy Land. And that's great. There's no issue with that, no problem. But for us, it was just, it was so interesting. We, we were with a group of 35 Chinese Americans. We stood out <laughs> a little bit, and, and they were all, they talked just like me. Um, and they were from California and Los Angeles San Francisco area, and they were making jokes that uh, while they were on this trip, there were no conservative people left in the state of California. Um, but that was a, that's another point. So we had a great time. And one more picture before we go on. And this is one of the traditional burial sites of Jesus. And that's where we are today. And you're thinking, wow, they had lights and stuff back then. No, this is inside this little encapsulated part there. You see the little turquoise color thing there down here toward the bottom? That's, that's encapsulated what, what is the traditional tomb site of Jesus, and then they built that thing over that, and then they built the huge church thing over that. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, in all over Jerusalem and all over the Holy Lands, they build churches to commemorate a specific miracle that's talked about in the Bible or a specific event that's talked about in the Bible. Churches are not what we think of as churches where people go to congregationally worship. They're not like that. But this is called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and inside that smaller building, inside the huge dome, is what they say. Now, we didn't go into this specific one because the line, I think, was three and a half hours long, and we had a lot of other things that we wanted to see, but you could kind of peek in and look. So 
We're going to come back to a couple of pictures in a minute and pick up there, but keep in mind kind of where we are in this, in this story. So we pick up in John chapter 19, and if you missed Jason's, any of the sermons that, that kind of lead up to this, this is a plug for our website. We have all of our sermons are out there. Please go listen to those. If you want to catch up or just hear the melodious tones of Jason's voice, go out there and, and kind of catch up and, and see where we are. So Jason basically ended in John chapter 19, verse 30. Now, I've got this little insert in your worship guide if you want to follow along. This is like fill in the blank just to kind of help you see where we are and what we're doing. It is not mandatory, um, but, it, but it does kind of help us you know, keep on track this morning. And the first one is Jesus' death demonstrates submission. Jason talked about this was an active role for Jesus. He didn't just, well, I'm here, so God take my spirit. He did it. He said, I, into your hands I commit my spirit. He chose to do it. It was an active part of our salvation. So now we're talking about the time in John chapter 19, between his death, when he said, I, where Jesus gave up his spirit, and the big event. Okay? So the big event, obviously, the resurrection is coming next. So we're talking about this short time between those two events. And so several months ago, when we're talking about who's going to preach today, and I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to do that. And I asked Jason, where are you ending before August the 2nd? And he, he told me at, when Jesus you know, gave up his spirit. And, and I said, okay, so uh, I'll just kind of go over there. He said, well, if you want to do the resurrection, it'll be okay, but I am the preacher. And I'm going to tell you, it sounded kind of sad, and, and he's not here today, so I can say that. And it was a little bit of a, if you want to. And I said, no, no, you're the vocational uh, pastor here, so I'm going to leave that one for you. So next week, everybody just, you know, here we go. This is, And it is a huge event. But I started looking at what's happening between the death and the resurrection, the big event. And so here we are in John chapter 19. We're going to look at several things that happen. Now, at the top of your worship guide, there's, there's listings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are the, the, the areas of the four epistles where this section is talked about. So I would suggest if you have time and find some time, read all four accounts of this before next week. And so we pick up little things, little different details between this time. And so here are some things that we pick up. At the very time or immediately after Jesus gave up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, which is one of your next blanks. If you're playing along, you don't have to turn these in when you get done to see if you got them right or anything, but just something to help. So the holy temple was the center of Jewish life. It's the center of religious life, the center of legal life. It was the center of everything. And the holy of holies and the most holy place, uh, the holy place and the holy, holy place, they, and it was separated by this veil. And we've heard the story, right, of, of when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two, and it, it has so much significance. And, and a lot of times when I think about that, here's, here's kind of what I think. Here's the veil torn in two. Not so much. So we look back in, in Hebrews, talks about the veil, and Leviticus chapter 16 says that the veil was 30 cubits 
high. Josephus and some of the historians say that Herod may have raised that to 40, but it's at least 30 cubits high. And a cubit is some kind of weird Israeli metric system that nobody understands, but it's about 18 inches per cubit. So we're talking at least 45 feet high, this curtain or veil. And Jewish tradition says that because and this is in Scripture, it was twisted blue, purple, and scarlet material and twisted fine linen, and it was three to four inches thick. This is more like a wall than a veil. So when this thing tore, it wasn't this. It was boom, crash. This is massive. It's like a wall. And I contend that this time, when we think of very solemnly, Christ died. This was a loud event. There are lots of things going on here. So we've got the temple veil torn in two. And there's so much significance here. Christ blew open anything that separated us from God. So now we can go directly to God and our sins are taken away. We don't have to push them forward every year when the, the the, the, the high priest went into the holy of holy place. We don't have to do that anymore. Christ blew that away. We have access to God all the time. Very significant. The tearing of the veil dramatically symbolized his sacrifice. The shedding of his blood was a sufficient atonement for sin one time. Don't have to do it every year. Not a quiet event. Back to that. The earth shook. Several things here. The earth shook. Rocks split. This is not quiet. Now, it may have been quiet right up to then because you remember there was three hours of silence from the sixth to the ninth hour, and then everything started breaking loose. Tombs broke open. Holy people were raised to life. So you think of earth shaking, rocks splitting, and tombs breaking open. This is not quiet. This is a massive, massive event. Now then, even more powerful than that. Now remember, this is all in Scripture with looking at all four Gospels between the time Jesus died and when he, was, when he rose to, to life. So the next thing is, those things are powerful, but more incredible is that people's lives were changed. The centurion, this is the guy who put Jesus on the cross. He and those with him believed What massive event to change people's hearts and lives were going on here. All that came for a spectacle, these are right out of Scripture, these words. They came for a spectacle, they beat their breasts. These are people that came for, ha, 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 told you, and they went away with, oh, my goodness, what just happened? This was a massive event. This was not something passive that they went, oh, it's done, let's go have a party. This, it changed people's lives. It changed non-believers into believers right there. I wonder about the centurion. I really do. Did he go on what was equivalent of the Oprah show in Jerusalem and, and, and talk about, I was there and I hung him on the cross and now I'm a believer and this is how it changed my life? I don't know. I bet you he lost his job. I'm going to ask him one of these days. You guys are invited to the lecture. So let's go back to to the Scriptures, John chapter 19. I'm going to read 38 through 42. Keep your seat. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body 
take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So these are two men in this very short section of Scripture, one of, one of whom we have not heard of at all before in Scripture, Joseph of Arimathea. So as you know, in Scripture, you say the name and then where they're from, and that kind of delineates or denotes which Joseph you're talking about. So this guy was from a place called Arimathea. Look on a map, there is no Arimathea. No one knows exactly where it was, but obviously somewhere close uh, to Jerusalem at this time. Joseph is in all four Gospels in those sections. Nicodemus is only mentioned in John. But it's obvious these guys were were cohorts. They They were in this together. So the very first time that this guy is mentioned in the Bible, and we see him going to Pilate, as kids these days say, wait, what? This is a no-name guy. We never heard about him. And he goes to the, the highest Roman ruler in the, in the city, in their world, in their world, and he says, hey, this guy who caused you all this trouble, who caused your, your wife to sleep and, and have dreams, bad dreams, and who you think, they, the crowds are chanting, I, I want that guy's body. This guy had the audacity. The Bible says he went boldly in front of Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Now, let's talk about these two guys. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were rich men. Joseph of Arimathea was a good and upright man, and they were waiting on the kingdom of God. If you're filling in, here we go. Joseph of Arimathea did not consent to the trial or conviction of Jesus. So we look back about Nicodemus. We know Joseph right here, but we know Nicodemus from a couple of other places. Nicodemus is the same Nicodemus who in John chapter 3 secretly investigated Jesus. This is the guy who had a long conversation with Jesus about being born again, that Nicodemus. This is the same Nicodemus who Jesus spoke some of the most famous words ever when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus when he said that. Most of us can quote that. These men were members of the Jewish Sanhedrin or council. Nicodemus was not afraid to question the council. Back in John chapter 7, which is the second of three times that Nicodemus is mentioned in Scripture, he says to all of these Jews, remember we've talked, and Jason's been talking about a long time, that Jesus and the Jews are they're just kind of button heads, and the Jews are always looking for a way to trip him up, and they're looking for a way that we found out to put him to death because he, 
he challenges their authority and he makes them think that, that he wants to take, oh, you know, all those things we've been talking about for a long time. But this guy questioned the council. In, in John chapter 7, verse 50, he says, does our law condemn a man without hearing him to find out what he's doing? So this guy's got some gumption, right? And they, they're, they're looking, they're searching, they're, they're trying to think that uh, what's going on. And, and now we're back to boldly, boldly they went to, to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. The scripture says Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent member of the council. Back in the Old Testament, Numbers uh, Numbers chapter 17, chapter 11 rather, God told Moses, who was ruling the people at that time, and he couldn't handle it. Moses had too much to do. A lot of people, little time. God said, choose 70 men who are wise in the law to help you rule. So Moses won 70 Add those together, 71. And so the high council, the Jewish high council, known as the Sanhedrin, was the the ruling body. Now, different cities around had smaller ruling bodies, but this was the big one. Think of it as the Supreme Court in our our land. This is the, the high council. They were the only one that could sentence people to death. Now, we know they had to go to, to Pilate and all those things that Jason talked about last week, but, but they're the ones who, who decree that. And they, they're the only ones who could crown a king. So they had the really high authority. These guys were on that council. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were just upright, and they were disciples. Now, they were secret disciples, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. It says they were prominent members of the council. The the Jewish Sanhedrin went in a semicircle around the high priest. So the high priest sat in the middle, and they all sat in semicircles around going out from the high priest. Some of the Jewish Uh, sources that I looked at said that the U.S. House and Senate are formed this way in a semicircle around the main podium because of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Now, I couldn't find anything in U.S. history that said that, but some of these Jewish sources are making that claim. Just a side note, but very interesting. Now, what we do know is that the eldest and or most wise members of the Jewish council sat closer to the high priest. Makes sense? So the the scripture says Joseph was a prominent member. He sat close. He sat close. He also was known by Pilate. You can't just go at a time like this and go, Hey, Pilate, I'm a nobody and I'd like to have some, some of your time and I'd I'd like to have the body of that guy that everybody's talking about. You can't do that. This guy went boldly, and Pilate knew who he was, and so he got audience with Pilate. He was a prominent member of the council. Here's where it gets a little funny. These two guys were previously secret saints. My guess is they lost it all. That that one, eight, Point two there, the two Christians probably lost it all. That's not in Scripture. That one is a Jeff assumption. They were the ruling council. They questioned the people who wanted to put Jesus to death. They went and took the body of the guy that everybody hated. 
My guess is they lost it all. And they couldn't be secret saints any longer. Their actions would have been noticed. The Romans crucified people on main trade routes. And so these crosses weren't hidden in in a farmer's field somewhere. These were so everybody could walk by, and so people would know if you cross Rome, this is what happens. And so people, excuse me, that are taking people down or putting people up on the cross or taking them down, they're going to be noticed. These two guys would have to answer for what they did. Here's another thing. They touched a dead body. In Jewish law, that is a massive thing you just don't do. If you had to do it, and Scripture accounts for this, that sometimes you have to, but you are considered unclean for a certain amount of time. These guys are on the Jewish council. They wouldn't have done that. And even if they did and people saw them, the council meets every day except the Sabbath and special holy days. They had to go to work on Monday, and people would have known they touched the body. They, They are not secret any longer. And again, that they lost it all part, that's, that's my assumption. <clears throat> so let's go back to a couple of pictures. What's the next one? I, I can't... Oh, Golgotha. So the, the Scripture says Golgotha is the place of the skull. And this is a picture that we took. And if you look, go, go to the dead center of the screen, and then just a little to the right, it looks like two eyes and a skull. And, and the Bible says it was called the place of the skull. Now, no one knows if this truly is the place, but there's an area next to what's called the garden tomb. So remember, we talked about the one in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre a while ago. That, that's one of the traditional sites. This is the other one that, that, is, that most people talk about as a possible burial site of Jesus. Now, you see the fence at the bottom? That's a bus terminal. (laughs) And people are going all day in and out of there, maybe right underneath the place of the skull. Now, right next to this, let's go to the next slide, uh, the next picture. Right next to this is what's called the garden tomb. You'll see the the bricks. Those two people are looking in the tomb, and they're taking a picture. The one man in the blue is taking a picture, and you see the bars in there. Several years ago, knuckleheads were doing things they shouldn't, so they had to put some bars in there. And you also see the bricks down at the bottom. That part of the the rock face had, had become unstable, and so they put some rocks, some bricks there. You also see up top the, a wall, and and... This is the excavation down beneath the wall. Now, there, this is interesting. It's not necessarily a salvation thing, but it's interesting. So the Scripture says that where Jesus hung and was buried was outside the wall of, the, of, of Jerusalem, of the, old, of the city. So the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is in, inside the walls, This place, what's called the garden tomb, is not. It's outside the walls. Now, we do know from history that different rulers have come and gone and and the walls have moved a little bit. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in that. The the Bible says that it was near a garden. They found an... I didn't didn't show the picture, but they they found an ancient press in here where uh, grapes or figs would have been pressed. And it dates back from however they 
do carbon dating or whatever to, to ancient Roman times. And so when the Bible says it was a garden, it may not have been flowers and roses. It was more likely a, a commercial garden. And the Bible says it was Joseph's tomb. It was a new tomb. So this was discovered several years ago in the 60s, I believe. And uh, you can go in there, which we did. And the next picture shows inside this tomb. And again, they put bars up because people started writing things on the wall, a bunch of knuckleheads and all that. But, uh, but we got to go in there and look around. And again, it was very, very interesting. But it, it wasn't for, for neither Judy nor me a, a spiritual life-changing thing. But, but as Jason has been going through the, the scriptures here and we're talking about these things, it was so interesting to actually have been to some of these places. People said, do you want to go back? No. But it was cool. It was cool. There's also an interesting thing about the day when Jesus died. Now, the Scripture says it was the day before the Sabbath. One of the epistles says it was a high Sabbath. What's a high Sabbath? Let's look at it this way. Christmas is on, we celebrate Christmas on the 25th of December every year. It could be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's not always on the same day because of the way the calendar works. Well, Jewish holidays that were commanded by God were the same way. They were based on uh, days of the year, and it could come at any point in time. Okay? Leviticus also tells us that those days, the beginning day and the ending day of those feasts and festivals was also called, wait for it, a Sabbath. So there's a possibility that you had a Sabbath, a day in the middle, and then another Sabbath when Jesus died. Matthew 12.40 says, Jesus said that he would be dead for three days and three nights. Friday night, Saturday night, where's the third? There's also some interesting... Now, wait, before you just... I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. There, there's, there is evidence for all of the different potential options of Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, okay? Because Jewish Jews would say that the next day started at sundown of the previous day. So there's how you count days, and it's all kind of interesting. This is one of those things that afterwards you go, oh, that guy, I want to go look into that. This is really interesting, but it's not the main point of this lesson. It's just very interesting. The other interesting one is that one of the scriptures says that Mary and the other women waited until after the Sabbath to buy their spices, and another an, another epistle says that they rested the day before the it. Some timelines don't necessarily fit. If that was important to the work that Jesus did on the cross, it would be explicitly clear. We talked about this earlier, and here's the, here's the main point here today. I thought a lot about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the last couple of weeks. Secret saints is not what God planned. A Christian cannot be a secret saint. We can't. Is it wrong to live a life for fear of reprisal or death? It's understandable, but as Christians, we can't. Jesus answered this question himself. Can you be a secret saint? In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, 
I will deny him before my Father who's in heaven. That's a sobering thought. So while it's understandable, a a Christian cannot be a secret saint. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that we are salt and light. A lot of people are going to hang on the first part, salt. Okay, Salt is a seasoner. It does seasoning things. It infiltrates the taste, and it, it influences the taste of food, or it influences preservation of food. It influences. A lot of people who say they're Christians like, to, they like the salt part. I will, I will not use as many curse words as everybody else. I will not go to that movie, but I'll go to this movie. I want people to, I'll influence, but in quiet ways. But Jesus says, you can't, Jesus said, be salt or light. Uh-uh. He said, be salt and light. You can influence, and you're supposed to. We, we are supposed to influence. But we are also told to be light. Light can't be secret. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Let your light shine. There's no secret in that, folks. And then Jesus said in Matthew 28, this is a mandate, not a suggestion. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a secret saint and complete those three mandates. I had an incredible discussion with Ben as I was thinking about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, going from that secret saint to busted. (laughs) And and I'm going to recall a couple of three stories here. So I asked Ben, I said, when you and Ashley were going, did you ever think what might happen if I am asked point blank, are you a Christian? And he said, only a billion times a day. So he recounts stories of sitting in police offices, and they say, what's your religion? There's the moment. And he said, I'm a Christian. Now, what he found out later was that they pretty much assume if you're from the United States, you're a Christian. So they kind of glossed over that one. They wanted to know, well, what's this business thing you're doing? Oh, so you're really here to make money, you capitalist pig. You know, I'm sure they're thinking those kinds of things. So it kind of glossed over. So he's with some friends that, that he trusted and knew who had brought some other friends. This is part of the salt influence. And this guy who he didn't know at all, out of, a, out of a conversation they're having, I don't know, it's great weather, nice, we're having weather today or whatever. This guy says, hey, what do you think about the government? Ben said, at that moment, the hair on my arm stood up and my heart was going. Brrr. Because what he knew was that the government pays informers and they pay you to rat on people. So guys, I'm telling you, during this conversation, I, I'm a manly man, but my eyes were leaking several times. I don't know what all that was about. But he said, and I truly believe this with the bottom of my heart, the Holy Spirit entered his, his, his mind and mouth at that point, and he said, well, here's what I think about the government. I am grateful to the government. They let me come here and, and have this business so I can meet guys like you. That just gave me chills. That is so cool. This next one's just more funny. More funny. I just said that, didn't I? 
he and Ashley were going to dinner one night. Uh, they had a friend staying with the kids, and they were going to dinner. And remember, paying people to rat on people. And it's not necessarily Christians. They're looking for spies. Now, they think Christians and spies are somewhat synonymous at times, and so they got in a cab. They were going to dinner, and they told the cab driver where they wanted to go, and he takes off. And then he starts demanding to see their ID. I need to see your ID. Hey, man, we're just going to dinner. I need to see your ID. And so Ben's thinking again, this guy's going to try to turn us in for something. We're American. We don't look like everybody else. We don't sound like everybody else. And so he demanded to see their ID, and Ben said, you, you have no right to demand my ID as a cab driver. <laughs> so dinner was this way. The cab driver drove this way straight to a police station. Jumps out, runs in to get the police. Ben said, I looked at Ashley. I took her hand, said one word, run. <laughs> so they took off. Now, he said, looking back, that was probably a moment of, well, what do we do? But he said, and it probably would have been okay. The police would have come out. They would have looked at our papers, and they go, yeah, we know this guy, and it probably would have been no big deal. But, but you, I have no doubt in my mind that if it came down to it, and they, their lives were in danger, and they were put under a microscope or a bright light or whatever they do, those two people would not deny Christ. Not in a million years. I think of Sean and Jenny, other other uh, missionaries from this church who faced different perils, like earthquakes and volcanoes, and tribal uh, people who who look at them as outsiders, and it scares them. Jesus said in John ten ten, "I came so that you can have life to the fullest. Life to the fullest doesn't mean a bed of roses." Look for opportunities. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus may have lost their position and power, and I'm pretty sure they did, but they laid for themselves treasures in heaven. Look for opportunities. Jesus said, go make disciples, but you can't do that living in secret. Joseph and Nicodemus found their opportunity. Where will you find yours this week? What will God put in front of you today, tomorrow, this week, to where you can show I'm not a secret saint. If you are not professing Christ, so those of you in here today who are not believers, now I don't mean, yeah, I kind of think I get this kind of stuff. I mean, those of you who have not said, I want to live that life. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a baptized Christian, and I want the world to know. If you are not one of those people, I don't hold you to anything. I'm not surprised about what you do, where you go where you spend your time, where you spend your money, what movies you watch at home when no one's looking. I'm not surprised by what you post online. But for those of us who do profess the name of Jesus, everything we do proclaims, I'm not a secret saint. God forbid we do or say anything, passively agree to anything, post anything online that tarnishes the name of Jesus. People who are salt and light will not purposefully do anything that will make others people say, if that's what a Christian is and does and says, I don't want anything part of it. But for those of us who have declared as Christians, we signed up for it. Not only the easy parts, we signed up to do boldly. Stand up for the power of the cross and show the world 
who we are and who we belong today, who we belong to. So if you're here today and you wonder what all this fuss is about, and if you, if you are, are game to give up a few earthly selfish pleasures to gain an eternity with Jesus and a wonderful, wonderful forever. Or if you just want to know why I keep calling Christians saints, give me a call. Our other elders in here, Jason Bogardis, our teaching pastor, would love to talk to you about this anytime. Call the office. These little, uh, I didn't bring one up here, the terror portion of your guide. Write your name on it and say, yeah, I'm interested. Help me understand why he said this or what does Cornerstone think about this or help me be boldly. Put your name on it, drop it in one of the the offering boxes and, and we'll call you if you want us to. We'd love to do that. Thank you so much for your time. Would you pray with me please as we close? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time on this Sunday when, when we know Christians are meeting all over this country and all over this world. We thank you for that. We thank you for the freedoms we have. We thank you for the, those that go to places where those freedoms are not evident, and we thank you. Thank you for this time that I had this morning, and thank you for the message of a couple of guys that, that aren't real prominent in the Bible for what they did and that they showed up and they performed such a wonderful service for you, for Jesus. They went boldly. They couldn't be secret saints anymore. Father, as we leave today, for those of us who have done things, and I count myself among this number, for those of us who have done things at times where it's safe to be secret, help me to never do it again. Help us to never do it again. Father, we look forward to, uh, to meeting these boldly saints from all time. One day in your presence, thank you for everyone here and watching, listening online. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, we look forward to a great message next week when Jason gets back and gets to talk about the big event. Thank you, God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great Sunday, and we will see you back here next week.